back to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to succeed while also raising children. I'm Lori Mahalik-Levin, and I'm here with my co-host and amazing husband, Jason Levin. Hey, Jason. Hi, Lori. (laughs) Today, we are veering off our normal pattern of interviewing moms and dads in a specific industry or a specific role or sector to talk about an issue that working parents in all industries, all parts of life grapple with, which is how household labor gets divided. Cue the Jaws music here. And to really dig into this important and juicy and emotionally charged topic, we've got a two-part series of special guests for you. One of our special guests is a mom, and she'll be with us for this episode. And then our other special guest is a dad, and he'll be with us for the next episode. Today, I am so incredibly delighted to welcome to the podcast, the inspiring Eve Rodsky. Eve, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Hi, Lori. Hi, Jason. I'm so happy to be here. Good to have you. So very briefly, Eve Rodsky is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. She's also the author of a brand new book, Unicorn Space, that I will be discussing with her in the May Mindful Return book talk series. So be sure to tune in for that on May 26th. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also, um, Eve has a background as a lawyer, just like me, and she's also done um, extensive work in family mediation, strategy, and organizational management. Okay, so let's get started. Eve, I happen to know that you are a working parent celebrity, and I have fangirled you for a very long time and even became certified in the fair play method. Um, But Jason, over here, my husband and co-host, he's wonderful and he loves me, but he doesn't really know who you are. So I am handing the reins over to him for some questions so that he can help all the audience get to know you a little bit better. I love it. Hi, Jason. <laughs> Hi, Eve. Thank you, Lori. Thanks so much. And we really appreciate you being with us, uh, being with us today, Eve. So, Eve, where do you live? I grew up in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, actually, on Avenue C and 14th Street, if you know New York at all. And now we live in Los Angeles with our three kids. Oh, wow. That's a big change going from East Coast to West Coast. And we'll talk about that. But actually, we moved for help. And I will say that 13 years ago, when we said we were going to uproot our careers before it was even possible technologically to really do things more remotely, we both, Seth and I both uprooted our careers to move to Los Angeles because his parents live here. They were willing to help us raise our kids. It's amazing. Really does take a village. Good for you. It does. How old are your kids? Zach is 13. He's a Fair Play ambassador. Uh, and I'm just thinking about him because we just debuted a Fair Play documentary at Sonoma Film Festival on Saturday night. And Gavin Newsom opened for us because our director is Jennifer Newsom, the first partner of California. So oh. it was really exciting to we wanted to debut in a film festival in a state that had paid leave. So that would be California. And it was really amazing. And Zach was in the film. So I've been thinking a lot about him, how he talked about how this journey to the division of labor has really impacted him as a young man. Uh, So he's 13 now. I have a 10-year-old son, Ben. He's my highly sensitive child, as most middle children are. And then Anna's five. I'm a career coach. And so I'm always curious about the beginning of people's careers. Eve, what was your first job as a teenager? Oh, such a good, I was a bar mitzvah dancer. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) I always always worked. I remember in New York, it was very serious labor uh, state. So you had to get working papers. 
I remember applying for my working papers at 14. That's what I, it may have been 16, but I think it was pretty, pretty sure it was 14. I did that so I could be part of a, they still exist, by the way, you know, the party starters for bar mitzvah dancing, but I got to go to Long Island to do a lot of bar mitzvahs out there because in, in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, there weren't that many bar mitzvahs. <laughs> I was the only, I was probably, I, well, that's not true. There were three Jewish kids in my public school. That's outstanding. So did you take dance growing up? Yes. It's funny. I saw an article talking about how when you have more means, I think this was, can't remember what book this was. Maybe it was one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, but how when you get old, when you're a family of more means, you take your child's interests and then you like professionalize them, you know, you're like, oh, he's good at baseball. Like I'm going to get him 20 coaches. But in my house, because I was raising myself, I lived with a single mother who worked nights and a disabled brother and a father that was mostly absent during the first 10 years of our lives. My love of dance was just, it wasn't something that people fostered, but I would get like VHS tapes. And then we were as in living color came out, I would copy their routines. So I, was, I would call myself self-taught. <laughs> That's outstanding, but intentionally self-taught. I mean, you know, to be able, I remember when In Loving, In, in Living Color came out and good. Yeah. And Crunch, I wrote, this is the weirdest thing. Crunch. I don't know if you remember the, the gym Crunch. Yeah. Yes. But I'm a member. First, yeah. Their first, <laughs> their first studio was on 13th street and university place. And it was a dance studio actually. So I remember I was like member three of, of this, oh. like one first crunch. That's what I remember. That's amazing. Well, now I know I, I feel even uh, more aligned with yeah. the gym that I go to. And so, Jason, I don't know, as a career coach, have you ever seen Bar Mitzvah Dancer on a resume? That's pretty cool. No, I haven't. <laughs> Has that but ever I, been somebody's first job that you've ever asked? Or is this no. a first? No, you're oh, a first. Oh, yeah, I'd like to be a first. I love it. No, no, you're totally a first because usually it's either some type of server at some type of restaurant. You know, they did some kind of lawn care, some type of babysitting, some type of odd job. But this is really interesting. I was born in Brooklyn. I grew up in New Jersey. So yes, bar mitzvah dancer. Of course, that's a thing. You know, <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. What got you started on your journey to helping parents communicate better? Well, it's a great question. I think, and I'm sure you say this all the time as a career coach, Jason, but you know, you don't start out in your third grade. What do you want to be when you grow up bored? I did not have gender division of labor experts on that third grade board. Like that was not there. It was probably a veterinarian or some sort of, you know, Nick City dancer at that point. But um, I think most people call research me search. And really, I came to this work just from my own exasperation, anger. I call it the blueberries breakdown of having Seth send me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And just having this complete breakdown on the side of the road over having just this realization that um, he really was starting to see me as just the fulfiller of his smoothie needs. And I did not have the career marriage combo I thought I was going to have. And what was so shocking to me, Jason, was that I had such privilege in which to have a fair division of labor in my home because I grew up in a single parent household, like I said. And so I saw what it looked like not to have a fair division of labor. Mm -hmm. And I was very aware. I was my mother's parental child. Mm -hmm. I was her secondary partner. I filled out eviction notice. I still do this for her. She just texted me. Can you be on a social media call for me at two to teach me how to use Twitter? I'm like, I, she's a professor of social change. She's done such wonderful things with her career. But to do that and to be a single earner at that time 
there were a lot of things that fell through the cracks, including the fact that I had a younger autistic brother that didn't get a lot of what he needed in the New York City public school system. Mm -hmm. So I really felt that burden of having a fair division of labor. I married an equal partner. We were like killing it in work and life. And mm -hmm. he would order the food. I would clean up the dishes. He would do the laundry. We both had access to the laundry card, all those things. And then, you know, we had our first child. And then three years into that, having two kids under the age of three, mm -hmm. everything was blown up. Everything I thought about my marriage was blown up. Every expectation I had about my career was blown up. I had had to leave the traditional workforce because I now say forced out because, you know, my lactation space was a dark stairwell. I lost all my direct reports on my maternity leave. And I blame myself because I didn't have this podcast. I didn't have you guys. Right. Um, 13 years ago, it was actually a very different landscape. It was sure. just the beginning of the lean in um, sort of hashtag boss bitch feminism. It felt so counterintuitive to everything that I thought, but that was the narrative at the time. You know, and, and kudos to you. I mean, you think about all the things that you've been able to build in those 13 years. But yeah, 13 years ago, it was a very different world. All we had is what to expect when you're expecting. Literally, the only parenting resource was that. Right. And I was like, okay, so my child's a jelly bean. Like, I'm not sure like, how that's helping. <laughs> and this week, a kiwi. And next week, right. a camel. I wish yeah. it just had like a flashing red stop sign saying your marriage is about to explode. <laughs> marriage is about to explode. Your marriage is about to explode. That would have been right. better. <laughs> no, I mean, it's true. Like you marry, you know, we got married and, you know, it was wonderful and we could go to bed and like wake up and like, <laughs> and, you know, and it was like, we knew. By the way, that's the best, that's the best description of before parenting. We yeah, could we go, go to, to bed, bed and wake, and wake up. up. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. That Anybody who's a parent just understands why that's like the most subversive thing to say. <laughs> I, I had a relationship with my pillow. I loved my pillow. I still love my pillow. And, but now and your pillow is hijacked by your sick children early. Yes. My, my, my son literally threw up all night. I come home and he's like, oh, yeah, I decided to sleep on your side of the bed <laughs> and like drool on your pillow. So I was like, well, I may as well just throw this damn pillow out. I don't want it. I don't even want to see it anymore. No, but you, if you've hit on something that's foundational is that there is a significant relationship evolution with your spouse the moment your first child comes in then your second child comes in and it's just the ecosystem keeps on changing and changing and changing oh i was gonna say what's so ironic though is that household labor is a pretty mundane topic we don't give a whole second thought to it which is i think the whole point here but why is household labor so critical and why is it so freaking emotionally charged so let's talk about that. Let's do something fun. I mean, as you know, um, especially you, Lori, um, and Jason, the two-second answer to that is it's because we don't treat our homes as our most important organizations. And I had to come to that realization because my subspecialty in law is really designing systems for families. I always think it's funny now that people say that they're life designers, you know, like that book, Design Your Life. Not that I don't love those guys out of Stanford, but I keep thinking, well, if you really want to talk about who designs society, you got to look to the lawyers because, you know, if you want people not to vote in Georgia, you pass a law so they don't vote in Georgia. You want people to stop at a stop sign, you pass a law to tell them to stop at a stop sign. So I do actually look at myself as a designer. And so I remember one man saying to me, when I asked him, is your home your most important organization? And he said to me, oh, you mean like when we decide, we wait to decide who's taking the dog out, right? When it's about to take a piss on the rug. 
And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, exactly that, but the opposite. And so the home is so charged because we're dying in decision fatigue because assumptions are replacing structured decision-making. And as a culture, we're used to the structured decision-making in every other area except for the home. Exactly. So let's play a game. So this is why I thought you asked why it's so charged. So let's do something fun. So oh, she's got fair, her cards. Yeah. So these are the fair play cards. There are a hundred cards. They represent, they started with the should I do spreadsheet, which was a nine month project to tell and make invisible everything that was invisible to Seth. I thought that was going to save my marriage. When the list did not work, then I had to start thinking about what it would look like to make a system. So it became a gamified system, but there's a hundred cards. So the way the metaphor works is there are 60 cards. If you don't have kids, you add 40 if you have children. That's part of why this is so emotionally charged because people are not realizing it's exponential work when you bring a little human to the world. So why is it so charged? I think no one's really asked me in that way. So I thought we can answer why. So this is what I'm going to do. Jason, I'll start with you. Okay. There's a hundred cards here. I'm just going to start shuffling and I'm going to stop at just any random card. It's like a magician. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just tell me, just tell me. No what to stop. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. And stop. Okay. So I just dropped okay. a card. Let's see what it is. Okay. Groceries. So Jason, <laughs> okay. So, so what I want to hear about, and this is again, back to the, this main question about why these things are so emotionally charged. I want to hear everything that you can tell me in two or three minutes about who groceries growing up. Tell me what you remember. Where did mm -hmm. you shop for groceries? Do you remember who picked up groceries? Anything, what kind of groceries? Tell me anything you can about groceries. All right. So in our house. Growing up. Uh, growing up. Yep. Mm -hmm. Growing up, North Jersey, Pathmark, ShopRite. Pathmark, totally. Yes. <laughs> Never ever would we go to any high-end store. It was either Pathmark or Pathmark, totally. Yes. So, And they had a white no-frills brand. And I remember yes. thinking, oh my God, like I just want to buy like the Tide. Why do I have to buy like the white laundry detergent? Exactly. So it was either on sale or we got coupons or whatever that was. Usually it was my mom where we would go shopping together and the Pathmark was connected to a friendlies. So usually, oh, yeah. so, so after, <laughs> yeah. So after Pathmark, we would usually get lunch at friendlies and we usually be done on a weekend. So sometimes well, I'm my, getting teary, by the way, just even hearing that. So keep going. Yes. <laughs> so, so sometimes my dad would come, sometimes not. Sometimes there's a list, sometimes there's not, but usually my mom would like, all right, go get the cereal and anything, any cereal got had to be mixed with regular Cheerios. So <laughs> we could never eat any cereal normally. It would always be mixed with regular Cheerios. I love yeah. that. So I love that so much because A, first of all, I feel like I know you so much more, even from that one story. <laughs> I could say to you that maybe if someone else is doing groceries and they bring home maybe like that sort of the high end stuff, maybe it would be a trigger because maybe you'd say like you could probably get this cheaper on sale or maybe not. Maybe you're the opposite. But the, the thing is why I'm doing this is because you asked why it's so triggering. It's because people look at domestic labor as if it's something they just have to allocate. Whereas my thesis is that it's our humanity. All of our stories are wrapped up in these cards. 
And so for me to just say, well, Lori is the grocery person. I mean, it, it ignores- No, she is not, but go on. Right, exactly right. <laughs> or Jason is a grocery person. It just it ignores this whole narrative of what we got to- got to be growing up. And when you can return to that, it's so beautiful because I start to hear a why in there. I feel like, yes. So tell me more, Jason. All right. So, so to now I'm replaying my grandma Gertie, who was a registered nurse and could talk to a wall. And so when we went, we, it's usually me or the boys come depending on whether they want to come or not. But for me, the grocery store is two things. It's community I talk to every person. I mm. talk to the person at the deli. I talk to the person in frozen, in produce. They know me. We know I Marcus know. in the deli. Oh my yes. God. <laughs> hey, Marcus, yeah. if you're listening. <laughs> I know the people. Hi, Marcus. Lo- and by the way, this card literally was chosen at random. And yes. we did not make yes. this up. And we're having no. this incredible conversation. Okay, keep going. So so my, my go-to grocery store is Giant uh, in North Jersey. That would be Stop and Shop. It's owned by a hold. Why do I know all this? I'm a former consumer package good marketer. I used to work for Unilever on Dove lotions and creams. So one, it's community and two, brand marketing, delivery of promises is my museum. I love looking at packaging. I'll call Lori and say, you know, the Quaker on Life Cereal just got larger. The blue (laughs) just got a little bit more navy. I'm the type of person that'll go to the discontinued section and say, well, why? Why didn't they win? So for me, the grocery store is home. It's cathartic. And yes, I do buy things on sale. The boys know me as discount daddy. But at the same time, uh, the greatest thing that we've done, uh, Lori and I use an app called AnyList. Before I go to the store, we're like, all right, let's talk about the week. And so we're putting in the different things that I, and there'll be usually three things that are not on the list. Like during the pandemic, we got into Canaret frozen hala, which is amazing. <laughs> amazing. It sounds so good. And so there's a kosher section within the giant where I'm always looking for like their stuff. And this frozen hala has become like part of our Friday evenings, right? Wow. The kids recognize that a warm hala is better than a, you know, a regular hala. <laughs> I had no yeah. idea this episode was going to turn into Jason's grocery <laughs> store, but like, right. but, you, no, but you understand this. this is, but this is exactly the modeling <laughs> we want people to do. If everybody had these conversations about not just, the, it's not the division of labor. What I call it as we have a cards against humanity, right? In that, that black game on the shelves of Target, this is a cards for humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is if people treat fair play like a list, it's just going to be a list. You go to the grocery store or whatever. I'll never want to hear about it again. This is about investing in the onboarding of sitting down with a hundred cards. So mm-hmm. that's what sounds so scary. Well, I have to have a hundred conversations with my partner, but that took no time. Literally, we did that maybe in four minutes. And I, again, not only do I... I love Jason now. Like I feel like, <laughs> like I feel like I know so much more about you. I could have predicted that you would be discount daddy because of the store, the, the fact that you went to Pathmark. If you lived with somebody that was not discount mommy, all they wanted to do was go and just pick whatever off the stores and didn't look for that or wanted to do the grocery shopping. You'd be like, hey, like that, there would be friction there. So the point is you can really start to get and understand. So Lori, let's do one for you. Oh, I was thinking maybe I was going to get out of this. But no, go let's, for do it, one. let's do <laughs> one. All right. Because I think then we can also, okay, ready? Just, just I'm just going to keep going and then we'll just... Pick Okay, just tell me when to stop. And stop. stop. Oh, this is an interesting one. 
Glitch, glitch in the matrix, daily disruption. So <laughs> what that means is, I want to know if you remember a story of when you had to come home from school when you were a child and you were sick, or you remember having to leave a trip early or something like that. And if you remember who was around when that happened. Come home early or, I mean, I definitely remember being homesick. So what it was that look like for you? More at an were age alone? When I, yeah, I was going to say it was more at an age when I was able to probably fend for myself. And so I was alone in the house and had to go to the refrigerator and make do and figure things out. I, I know when I was younger, that wasn't the case. I was clearly not left alone as a toddler or something when I was sick. But No, um, I mean, the first thing you can remember about being left alone <laughs> or being being home uh, when in a time when you were supposed to be somewhere else. Yeah, I'm struggling with the question, Eve, because my own household was very, it still is emotionally charged for me. It was a place that brings back lots of fears and memories that I don't like going back to. And so when I think of being home alone, that is actually a little comforting because then there was nobody mm-hmm. else around who could provoke a trouble in the house. So well, that's a good, that's a first of all, thank you for being vulnerable and saying that because there were lots of glitches in the matrix of my house growing up. That's really important to understand because when we don't realize that the home was triggering or you do, mm-hmm. or, you know, if you were just dating Jason, then you may go into your division of labor without recognizing that there is a lot of baggage probably associated with a lot of the cards. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was for me too. Like, and when you realize that it is so freeing. So the way Fair Play started to work was I understood the power of an ownership mindset. All Fair Play is an ownership mindset. It's it's the no excuse zone. It says there's no reason assumption should take place for structured decision making. And we know the power of the directly responsible individual. We know how psychological safety increases if you have context, not control. So I was so excited to bring Fair Play into my home. Because I said, I'm just going to design a system for myself. So I go, Seth, we're going to do CPE. You know, we're going to own different things. Wait, wait, wait. Like, if, if CPE was one of my favorite parts of the book, but there might be people who are listening. To, who totally. Don't know what CPE so, is. Yes. So yeah. CPE is the understanding that when you hold a task back to groceries card, that Lori is not making the list, thinking about monitoring the mustard, knowing her second son likes yellow mustard or else he'll choke on his protein and then sending Jason to the store and saying, go get the mustard. He brings home a spicy Dijon. They have a giant fight because Jason is obviously incompetent and you're never going to trust your living will with him because he can't (laughs) even bring home the right type of mustard, right? That, That happened in 17 countries. That was the baseline of years of interviewing, the aha moment of realizing that when you break up the execution from conception and planning, just like in the workplace, it leads to chaos. So the ownership mindset, when I sat down with Seth and said, we're going to try something different because whatever is happening is not working now. He was on board a thousand percent. He's like, oh, wow. That means like I can actually do something from start to finish. I don't have to have your voice in my ear for everything. Amazing. So we started small with garbage and he understood CPE of garbage, which meant in California, it's a little more difficult. You have to get bins out. You have to know trash day. You have to compost. You have to put the liner back in the garbage bag, right? It's, it's a lot more things. But he understood that. What was happening to me was that I was his garbage shadow. And that's when I realized in the development of Fair Play that the ownership mindset in such a triggering place as our homes is not enough. 
You can't just say to somebody, here, you own garbage. Because we bring all of our metaphorical baggage, that's the mm-hmm. plan words, to <laughs> garbage. And so the big aha moment, and Jason, I'm sure this happens to you in your coaching, is that like you did brought me back to my childhood, what my first job was. When you can understand the context for why people do things, it becomes so much more powerful. It becomes a system. Mm-hmm. And so part of the onboarding of fair play, the step that was missing, the light bulb, where it started to work for not just me, but then hundreds of my beta testers was sitting down to have those conversations. So I sat down with Seth. I had a very vulnerable conversation saying, same as you, Lori, the home is very triggering for me. It is very triggering for me. When people tell me to go back, find what I used to be, nothing was fun for me in my childhood. It was full of trauma, abandonment. So when I see garbage... When you leave the banana peel and you say, I'm your garbage shadow because I'm over your shoulder looking at you to see whether you're going to take out the garbage. I'm really like an eight-year-old latchkey kid again, putting a five-year-old disabled kid to bed at night. Mm -hmm. And when he asked me, my brother Josh would ask for water. I would go into the kitchen, turn on the lights. And in our small kitchen, there would be cockroaches and water bugs everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I remember managing cockroaches. Cockroach management for me was closing my eyes flipping on the lights, waiting for them to scatter because they Mm. scatter in light and then getting the water. So not only did it occur, not occur to me to systematize it, to have like water by his bed every night, which I started to do later. So I was a powerful in systems early. But when Seth understood that I had such a trigger over being left home and that garbage to me was associated with these really difficult things, then he he started taking more seriously. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm not going to give it back to you because it means something more to you. I'm going to do it with what we call in fair play is a minimum standard of care. And that's it. I've never actually had this type of conversation about fair play, about the origin story, but I think it's very powerful that we got to go so deeply into into Mm. our why. And now for a quick note from our sponsor. This episode of the Parents at Work podcast is brought to you by Mindful Return, an employee benefit designed to support new parents through the transition back to work after parental leave. Hi, I'm Lori Mahalik-Levin, CEO and founder of Mindful Return. When I went back to work after maternity leave, twice, after having two sons about two years apart, I realized that I could take a course on any baby-related subject under the sun, from making a birth plan, to pumping milk, to even pureeing baby food. But I could not find any resources to help me, a grown-up, navigate the personal and professional identity transition into working parenthood. I created Mindful Return to fill this gap. Employers, Mindful Return is a four-week online group-based course that's both really affordable and really effective. Our employee retention statistics among our course alumni are off the charts. Head over to mindfulreturn.com and click on four employers in the navigation tab to learn more about bringing our programs for working parents to your workplace. 75 employers already offer Mindful Return as a parental leave benefit, and we'd love to give you a quick behind-the-scenes tour of our courses. Again, head over to mindfulreturn.com and click on four employers to get in touch. Now back to our episode. Yeah, and thank you for going deeper and... I think, you know, in our relationship for me and Jason, he understands and listens to the triggers from me and he appreciates them both with compassion and with humor. 
right? So he knows that because of all the short circuits growing up, I need order, Eve. I need a lot of order in my life. And so he has a song, Lust of Order, We Need Order, which, you know, brings some levity to it, it, but also really understands it. And, you know, the- I'm giving you a heart. I'm giving you a heart. That would be the Zoom heart. I gave him a Zoom emoji. Just this conversation has helped me understand perhaps why Jason and I put systems in place so early, which I think made us able to communicate and interact as a couple much better. So what I'd like to ask first, Jason, if you could just tell everybody just a little bit about what the systems are that we have been using. And then Eve, I would love to hear from you why systems are a must in this situation. Oh, absolutely. So exciting. But you know, I love data. So Anything you can tell me about the system. <laughs> but I'll actually, let me just start off by saying, and then we'll, I want to hear about your systems. People are afraid of systems, right? Yeah. They say, well, the home is, you know, where we love each other. And what I say is there's really no more toxic words when I interview people now over a decade, then we'll figure it out. It is a terrible way to live. And a system is not scary. A system is just understanding what happens before it happens. If you did that in cryptocurrency, you'd be rich. (laughs) It's really, it's like telling the future. It's understanding and it makes the brain so much more calm because you can engage in your prefrontal cortex when you know what's going to happen in advance of what happens. If your kid is sick and you have no plan for your kid being sick and you don't know who's going to pick up your kid and, and it just defaults to assumption all the time, then you have a rage and resentment cycle. So that's all a system is. It's just a way to understand how to make decisions. And it's such a beautiful way to live. So I would love to hear more about the systems that you, you both have. So for us, we had our first, and we had our second. So within you know a little over two years of one another. And things just got out of hand. Uh, and all the things you're talking about. You know, so-and-so is sick, can't go to daycare. Then all of a sudden, you got to rejigger the schedule. Mm -hmm. And then all these things would come in the mail. What we do? So... uh, In the backpack, those little slips of paper and a ball. And you're like, oh, wow, you're going on a field trip tomorrow. I guess you can't go because I didn't sign this. (laughs) So came up with the physical construct of a Saturday basket where we would put things into the basket that we would discuss on Saturday evening. That Hot date would, on the couch every Saturday night. Oh, I love it. Yes, <laughs> you know. you have, yes. You guys so, are speaking my language. I'm, I love this. So I, have to, I have to take notes. <laughs> so we, so we had a Saturday basket. Uh, Lori and I met in France. I'm a huge fan of the French half bottle of wine because a whole bottle is too much. But like a half bottle, everybody half gets bottle. a glass, glass and a half. So we take the Saturday baskets. It's a place that starts a conversation, get a glass of wine. And then as these weekly conversations started to evolve, I also read Atul Gawande's Checklist Manifesto. As soon as I read it, I said, oh, my gosh, we could have a checklist that goes along with the Saturday basket. And so from Monday to Friday, if so-and-so gets sick, who's first responder? Let's pay the bills. Let's talk about all these things. And as we started sleeping more, like on the checklist, date night. We need to schedule date night for the next month. We can talk about having fun. If you're one of our babysitters, you'll hear from us on Saturday evening, probably around between 9 and 10 p.m. 
So the physical construct of the basket allowed for us to put things there that we would take out. The checklist started to help us understand what was the most foundational things we need to get done for the week. And then we just had a place where we're like, oh, we'll just talk about it on Saturday. And that high cognition, low emotion emotion. conversations. Yeah. Yes. That is it. You literally built fair play. I mean, I couldn't have a better couple to... I'm going to take you guys on the road when we go out (laughs) because it is the way you came to it. Right. Because, and I think also just given your work, it may have felt a little bit easier, right. To talk these ways, right. Jason, I'm assuming you were a coach back then when this started. Well, uh, Eve, you talk about talking. I was voted most talkative in high school. Okay, good. <laughs> Were you a so, coach when yes, this started? Well, I'm saying, yes, he yes, was already yes. a coach by that Yeah, point. I was already, already a coach. coach. Yeah, I was already a coach. So again, same thing, like being a mediator, having understanding the importance of high cognition, low emotion conversation. So you, you may have had a head start. But what I love so much about Lori and now you, Jason, is that it's just not rocket science. Mm-hmm. It's not rocket science. And that I think people are so afraid to approach their partner because... They've had such a hard life in their homes before they got there. They're so afraid of what if it doesn't look different than the way it was in the past. And so a lot of this is about breaking the cycle of what we saw. And as Lori and I were talking about before, especially for you and I, you know, we we have similar experiences in how we react to our childhood. Mm-hmm. It is not easy. I didn't want to really think about groceries. I didn't want to think about Pathmark and what it was like to be there on a Sunday night we always went really late because my mom, like I said, she just couldn't get it together. So we were there like 10 at night. And I was always like scared. It was the one like in downtown. It was in Chinatown. But one time, actually, our Dodge Aries got broken into in the parking lot of that path, Mark. So there's just a lot. You can go on and on into the stories, right? You know, right. by just digging. And so I do think people are, if this was the workplace, what people are much more used to when I say to them, Would you ever hire an employee that said, hey, what should I be doing today? I'm just going to wait here to tell me what to do. They understand and laugh. But that's we replicate those patterns in the home because there's just so much more baggage and assumptions because of gender and our histories. So you can't even come to these conversations. And that's why I love what you both did. You both organically came to these conversations because you knew there was no other way. You were going to drown in all these decisions. We used to say that one plus one kid felt like 85 children at the time and things were not working. For people who are listening, who are saying, yeah, I know I've got a lot of baggage and this conversation feels really uncomfortable to start, but gosh darn it, I know I need to because I'm drowning and the mental load is too much and I'm going to die here. How do you recommend that they actually dig in and start this conversation? Like, what are some words they can use? What's a good scenario? Absolutely. Well, there's a secret formula that we just, just, we just unpacked. And the secret formula really is boundaries, systems, and communication. So what I would say is if you're feeling stuck, start with one. Start with one. You can start with your own boundaries, like really the self-talk that you deserve permission to be unavailable from your roles. You can start with the systems that we're talking about here, the fair play system or any system that includes structured decision-making over assumption. But I would say the easiest place for most people to start, the the way I see most people starting is the way that actually Lori and Jason started. This idea of just a check-in where it evolved into a division of labor, amazing explosion of fireworks and and everything good, cupcakes and rainbows that I love. But it started really with just the physical manifestation of a Saturday basket and wine and a place to park. I call it the parking lot. 
a place to mm-hmm. park so that you, because what I'd say the easiest place, the lowest hanging fruit to start from is understanding that most conversations in the home. And I know this now because I have the largest longitudinal study of couples probably in the world mm-hmm. is that most people have struggle with feedback in the moment mm-hmm. because they don't have a Saturday basket. So what happens is you don't think Jason's ever coming back to the table, even though he lives in your home. It's this, well, I have to tell him now, you know, he forgot the, the jacket again. You know, he didn't put the plastic on the stroller. We have a late notice for this bill. And so you're interrupting Jason. He's like, excuse me, like, or, or vice versa. Like what, Lori, you know, you can't hear these conversations. Mm-hmm. So I'd say the best place to start, if you're really like, where can I start is understanding what's the hurdle to sitting down with your partner once a week with a Saturday basket there were the, the, the proverbial Saturday basket. I call it in fair play check-in. What's the hurdle there? Some people say to me, okay, we'll start that. But I think the biggest hurdle is that we're, we've been taught that communication is a transactional thing. When I asked people in 17 countries why they communicate, it was always, well, I had to tell Lori to pay the bills. I had to tell Jason that there's something on sale because he's discount daddy. You know, it's always this means to an end reason of why people told me they communicate. I never, not once, not once in 10 years, maybe if I'd asked Jason this question, I'd hear different because you're a coach, but I never once heard I communicate with Lori to get better at communicating with Lori. That's it. To me, that's the low hanging fruit. If I sit down with Seth and I say, I'm here not to tell you anything, but I'm here to get better at communicating with you. That's how you unlock. You start to unlock the secret formula of boundaries in communication. With Seth, when did you feel that you had made progress in your own relationship when it comes to these types of issues? I had to go through a real unlearning, Jason, of believing that all of this wasn't on me because he made more money. So for me, it was, I was feeling this real burden that because I decided, I, ch- I went from my law firm life before I started my own firm and went into corporate life, I took a detour as the COO of a nonprofit that I loved. Um, But I went from 175,000 at that time, plus a bonus in my 20s to $42,000 a year. And not realizing that we were still looking at value in, in terms of money. So I actually argue that we were all like the top attorneys in the world. We're like the ACLU for kids' rights, for kids who get kicked out of school because of school suspensions. Mm -hmm. And we know that black and brown kids are kicked out five times as much as white kids. Kids are suspended in kindergarten. So we were fighting for these kids. I still believe that my job was worth less than Seth because he made more money than me. Mm -hmm. And so I I had to really do a lot of work on myself. There were four things I was saying to myself that stopped, prohibited me from talking to Seth. One was, well, it's not his responsibility because I make less money. The other one was this false, completely false narrative that I was somehow a better multitasker, that somehow I was wired differently for care. There's no gender difference, by the way, in multitasking. But at the time, that was something that was... And then the other two were, I kept saying to myself, in the time it takes me to tell Seth what to do, I should just do it myself. Mm-hmm. I can find the time, you know, he's better at focusing on one task at a time. And so once I had to really, really, really unlearn these messages, it took a lot of work, a lot of crying, a lot of intense sadness to mm. realize that I had been sold this lie that having it all meant doing it all, blaming myself. It was a really dark time for me. And, but once I realized that private lives are public issues and I got to see, oh my God, two thirds or more of what it takes to run a family falls on all women, even mm-hmm. if they work outside the home. 
I'm not alone. Okay, this is a systemic issue. Then it got a lot easier for me to start developing systems where we could have these conversations. But Jason, for me, it was so much of the unlearning, the gendered learning about my time, that women's time is infinite. Our time is sand. Your time is diamonds. We protect it. We say things to women like breastfeeding is free when it's an 1800 hour a year job. We know that when women enter male occupation, salaries automatically come down. I've been taught my whole life that my time is worthless. And so I had to really, really do a lot of unlearning. And that was a very painful process. And that's why I wrote Fair Play. That's why it couldn't just be a card game on a shelf. I had to write about my story of that unlearning because I felt like that was helpful, going to be helpful to other women. Thank you for sharing that. What are some of the messages that you think listeners can replace some of those toxic time messages with so that we have something else that when, when that one comes in, we know what to say back to it? Oh my God, it's so important. This is like the most important therapy practice you'll ever do. Uh, You can do it with a fair play coach or a fair play (laughs) therapist. We now um, thank you, Lori, for being part of this movement to bring the gendered lens, this assumption lens to to the world. It's so beautiful that you're helping people to um, unpack these very, very toxic ways that we look at our time. What I would say, it just takes two things. The, The reframe is one, All time is diamonds. We just get 24 hours in a day. When I was able to come to Seth, you asked me, when did Seth and I get that breakthrough? Jason, it's when I had enough courage to actually believe my time was diamonds too. When I was able to say to him, hey, so when our kids go to bed and you have four hours to check your recheck, your PowerPoint workout, watch PTI, um, and I'm doing things in service of our home till my head hits the pillow two hours after you go to bed. That's fundamentally unfair. And Seth, I deserve as much time choice over how I use my day as you do. And that was it. It was that I wasn't going to go back. And so it was either we'll do this through, as my friend said, her solution was just three words. It was called court ordered custody. (laughs) I was like, you know, you could do it that way, but I love you. And this is a, we need a new way forward. But it took, like I said, how do you get there? You have to believe that your time is diamonds. And for a culture that has conditioned us to believe that our most valuable currency should be given away to everybody else for free as women, That's why I think, again, the non-rocket science part of it, the system, the ownership Mm -hmm. mindset, it's like, Mm -hmm. duh, duh. But you can't get to the duh until you understand why it's been so hard to have these conversations in the first place. Yeah, so spot on. And I also think we need a system, especially in those very early years of parenthood. And, you know, I work with brand new parents in Mindful Return Land because we're so sleep deprived back to the Jason missing his pillow thing. That if we don't have a system, we just automatically default to all the norms because we're just so no, you're flailing, flailing anyway. Flailing. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why, Lori, I think you're what I love about you and why I said I'll always support your work. And I love it so much is because you literally are in the exact sweet spot for mm. when the, the most in the data, the most impact comes from fair play. Absolutely. It is. It is the that is it. When you get it there. Right. Not not only do you just get the division of labor right, what you start seeing is that men, it is unbelievable what I hear from men who are now leaders in the workplace who who do fair play mm-hmm. or the Saturday basket version or what you came to as well. What I hear is, and this is what I start to ask, Jason, I start to ask men, because I'd, I'd sit on these panels now and 
I hear from men who say like, I'm leading our gender equity charge and I'm an ally. And so I'd say, okay, that's great. I'd love to sit with you on this panel, but I have a lived experience survey that I need you to answer. It's just four questions to decide whether I want to do the panel for you. And number one is, what do your kids eat for lunch? (laughs) Their favorite things for lunch. Uh Number two is, what's the name of your child's dentist? (laughs) And or pediatrician. I'll take either Uh one. Number three is when was the last time you had a birthday party for a child? What was the theme? And the last one I ask is how many times have you taken your child to school and or picked them up in the last month? If I can't get one answer of those questions, then I don't, I don't do the panel. I don't, I don't, I don't work with those men. That's brilliant. I love that so much. It's so cringy. cringy. Oh my God. It's It's so cringy. But I've been doing it the past year, Jason. It's like, I feel like I'm going to die when I do it because it's been the most amazing that lived experience survey has like changed. Just asking those questions has been so, I don't I can't explain it. It still makes me cringy to think about some of the experiences no, of asking those questions. It reminds me of a talk that Jason and I heard by Michelle Silverthorne about, Michelle Silverthorne. Uh, yeah, about, you know, calling yourself an ally for women of color, for example. And then she goes into the questions how many black people have been over to your house for dinner in the past? Month? Yeah. You know, how many, yeah. you know, this yeah. whole list. Yeah. And it's very much like, are you living it or are you just speaking about it? So 100%. thank you for, for yeah. and the action. Shout there. out to Michelle. We love her work so much. Um, yeah. Seriously. And she's, she's unbelievable. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we are getting close to the top of our uh, hour here. I, we have a couple of fun rapid fire questions we'd like to ask you, but first, before I forget, how can we watch the documentary? you mentioned earlier okay, on. Yeah. So we're going to, we, I'd love to screen it for your community. We are, mm, yeah, we're doing a whole, it's going to be out on streamers in July. And so I will be in touch with you, but it's, it's awesome. really fun. You get to live. We followed three couples during the pandemic, very different lived experiences and how they do their di- gender division of labor. So if you're a voyeur, you'll like it. But if you're somebody who's steeped in the fair play system, you'll like it as well. And the impact on men is what you see. The beauty of men being invited into their full power in the home so that women mm. can step out in their full power in the, in the world. It never goes bad for men to have a deeper connection with their family. It just doesn't. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll stay tuned for that later this yes, summer. Please. For sure. Yes. Okay. So a couple of rapid fire questions. Jason, I'm going to let you ask the first one because this is literally your favorite question that you asked to everyone, including the checkout person at the grocery store. What do you have for breakfast? Oh my God. That's such a great question. Um, I have chocolate croissant or a chocolate muffin, or as my daughter says, just plain toast. I'm a carb freak. Wow. Love the chocolate croissant. Yeah. <laughs> and, and nothing with it. Just like, just that there's no liquid. Yeah. There's no, just no, no, you'll Oh, actually iced tea. You'll, you'll, what you'll learn about me because hopefully I'll get to know you guys better yeah. over time is that <laughs> I just, I don't live. I haven't had one vegetable in 20 years. I live off of just adrenaline and sugar. Wow. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> and croissants. Wow. Love it. Croissants and iced tea. Okay. And good. That's um, actually one of the iced teas. I already ate the croissant. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite thing to do without children? Oh, I have so many. I guess I would say dance. That's what I've returned to. What I call my unicorn space, my uninterrupted attention for things I love. Back to the how I started my first job, full circle. It's been hard because there's dance studios have been closed, but I started to find some really good Zoom classes. Uh, and ballroom is my next frontier I want to conquer. Cool. Awesome. Okay. We look forward to seeing that. Yes. Um, what's your favorite thing to do with kids? 
nothing because I don't like being with my children. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, I always say to them, you know, I want to read us weekly and take a bath. And you're like trying to make me like play with like toys or puzzles. So, yeah, I guess I, I'm somebody who believes in bringing children into your world is having to enter their world. So my favorite thing I'd say is anything civic or activism related. So taking my son on marches with me, having them in Zooms with me and present on Fair Play. So really bringing them into into my world. That's amazing. And I did see Zach in the video that you showed in the Fair Play class, and he was an excellent spokesperson for the class. What is your own personal least favorite household chore? Oh, my God. Again, so many. I I guess in terms of the spot, the, the ones that don't happen all the time, it's definitely cleaning up vomit. Oh, yeah. yeah. I I, I vomit Mm -hmm. when I clean up vomit. I just, we had to do that this week. And I would say on a daily grind basis, dishes, because I don't, mushy, like wet water is like, and food that gets in there is just, it's, it's gross. Yeah. Leftover croissant pieces, mush. Yeah, exactly. It's all mushy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. Last question. What is your favorite technology to complete a household? Oh, that's such a great question. Milo is a new one that's starting. Maple is another great one. But the cool thing about Fair Play is that people have built their own systems. And so I'm obsessed with Trello. I'm obsessed Uh with a great Kanban, a great Asana. There's so many different ways, but I'd say any sort of Kanban technology um, makes me really happy. And define Kanban for our listeners. Yeah, it's, it's a way to sort of segment your work and it's like it's like an online version of having post-it notes. Yes. <laughs> I see the post-it notes on your wall. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's it's interesting that you're thinking about Trello and Asana in that way, because I've used those technologies for work, but that's fascinating and it makes perfect sense. Yes, right? It's so it makes fun. Makes sense. Why not? Yeah. Right. So yeah. um the people who've sent me their Trellos, their fair play Trellos are make like it's like how you guys talked about your Saturday basket. I literally my heart wants to explode on you. Like, I love you so much. <laughs> Eve, we love you so much. We're so glad that you joined us here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time oh, and your so energy fun. and wisdom. Lots thank of you. Hearts. I'm sending you lots of heart emojis because you guys thank are the you. best. Oh, well, um, everybody needs to go and read fair play, read unicorn space. Yes. Um, and if you listen to this podcast, and enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, leave us a review. And we look forward to returning with you to have um, a conversation with Sergio Rosario about the dad lens of this uh, household labor distribution game. Thank you so much. One weird fact is Sergio is actually in the Fair Play documentary. Oh, no way. Okay, so we'll get to watch him. him. Yes, Yes. you'll get to see him in there too. Amazing. Thank you both so much. All right, I'm going to run to my 10. I have one minute. Big, big hugs. Hopefully I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Bye. Bye, Jason. Bye, Lori. Thank 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 you.